Simon for Ventnor Blog here at Hawkfest, Afton Down, 2010, and we are with... I'm Ray Falk, um, one of the Falk brothers that put on the Isle of Wight festivals. Now that's that's quite quite a, an accolade, really, these days. It seems so. As, uh, as the years go by, it seems to be more important rather than sort of diminishing importance. Um, it's a long time ago. And, and I, I mean, it's one of these daft questions, but when you were doing it... Did it feel like it was something significant at the time, or was it just like, oh yeah, why don't we do that? It started off by not seeming terribly significant, but I think the turning point was when we secured Bob Dylan in 1969, and then we really did feel that we were onto a, a world a world scale event. You know, yeah. this was going to be really big, and it was going to be a world class event. The following year, 1970, then we're trying to cap that with something that's even better if we could and knowing that it was seen as being a, an international kind of s- scale event we had to do what was necessary to make it big which mm. we did mm. so how do you secure Dylan I guess what the music industry is probably a little bit different it's less corporate in those days and maybe you could just call it up his agent or his manager and say hey what's Bob up to you could almost do that in those days and I guess that we did get through to his management quite easily on the telephone and we struck up a relationship with weekly conversations about how he is unlikely he'd do it but it's a possibility and they they warmed to the idea they wanted him to go out and work and he was um, sort of in semi-retirement having had an accident about three years earlier and it just it was good timing really he, he he was moving to the idea of coming out to do something his yeah. management were keen for him to do something the the big story of course which we didn't know at the time and we only discovered afterwards is that he was living in Woodstock he'd been toying with doing the Woodstock festival all summer and he actually set sail on the QE2 he boarded the QE2 to come to the Isle of Wight on the Friday the 15th of August, which is the day the Woodstock Festival started. Right. He had no intention of doing Woodstock. Right. In fact, he'd signed with us some some weeks earlier, which yeah. which um, I think prevented him from doing Woodstock anyway. Right. So, but he he strung them along to the very end, <laughs> and it's uh, it's an interesting sort of little piece of, of rock, yeah. rock history yeah. that uh, they put the festival in his backyard, thinking this would force him to come out and do something. And, and he, so then he jumps on a he, boat and <laughs> Dylan being Dylan and sort of um, completely doing the reverse of what yeah. any normal person might do he came hot footing it over here to the Isle of Wight and what was he like I mean, in those days were sort of people sort of riders and all of that stuff or was it all quite relaxed hey turn up you know plug your guitar and off you no, go no it was, it was it's all quite well organised we We'd persuaded him by giving him a holiday here on the Isle of Wight for a couple of weeks with his really? family. And the, and the QE2 bit was all part of the package. Right. In the event, they didn't travel on the QE2 because his son had an accident on the boat and they had to get no. off get off the boat and they flew over a few days later. Right. But um, he, he had a, a holiday here, he had rehearsal rooms at Foreland Farm in Benbridge. Right. Um, and so where did he holiday? Where did well, we, we rented a... A farmhouse in Benbridge, right. in Benbridge, and um, there's there's a barn there for rehearsals, a properly converted barn. Right. And he had George Harrison come and stay, and lots of celebrities dropping in. Yeah. It's quite a it's quite a big deal, really, um, for him and for us. So, so, what made you start it to begin with? I mean, what 
what was the driver? It's like, well, we love this music. Why don't we gather a few people together? Or no, it was a fundraising event to help build a swimming pool for the Isle of Wight. That's, that's how it started out. I didn't know that story at all. No, well, uh, my brother Ron was um, engaged as a fundraiser for an organisation called I Whisper, yeah. which is the Isle of Wight Indoor Swimming Pool Association, and um, we're looking for ideas um, on you know how to raise funds and the the idea of concerts and we used to have dances in those days where you put a band on in a local parish hall or something yeah. and people would turn up and pay to go and you can make a profit and we thought of those ideas and then we were always sort of quite robust in our thinking and being a bit over the top in our ideas and we yeah. decided decided that a festival would be a good thing but it was really mainly my brother Ron that, that whose job it was to raise funds they, they ran a mile they, they supported it at first yeah. and when the bad publicity started uh, really? which was pretty quick they disowned it and um, they left their investment in they, they'd, they'd funded it they, they gave us 750 quid yeah. which we paid back afterwards but they let us keep that in place yeah. so we could carry on and finish the event right. and we did it it became our own event so this was what 68 or 68 yeah right. we had Jefferson Airplane and yeah. Crazy World of Arthur Brown right. in, a, in a pretty I mean they uh, were major acts at that point weren't they yeah they were they were pretty big I, yeah. I think well Arthur Brown was um, a major pop act because he was top of the charts at the time with his fire song and um, Jefferson Airplane were, were not household names in the way that Arthur Brown was but Jefferson Airplane were massive in the underground sort of yeah. fraternity people who'd Later, sort of populate these festivals, and you call them hippies, I suppose, at the time. Mm-hmm. So he, they, they were massive in that world. So we had, we were covering both constituencies, really. I, I just love the idea of you. Well, one raising money for a swimming pool. I hadn't ever heard that before. It's just completely brilliant. Um, but then saying, wouldn't it be great to have them, or wouldn't it be fab to have them? And it actually coming together must have felt really good to have. Well, them. I, I can't say that I was very up to speed on this. I. I was already, um, I was a businessman with my own business and I was, a mar- I was married with a family, although I was only 22. Um, and I was, you know, I come to work in a suit and a collar and tie every day. I didn't know much about the current pop scene and my ideas were way out of date. And I was thinking about some of the early people like Billy Fury and yeah. Adam Faith and those sort of names that I'd grown up with yeah. and I thought were sort of big names. But my younger brother, Bill, was a student at the Royal College of Art. And he was pretty well up to speed with what was happening. And I think these names like Jefferson Airplane and The Move and Pretty Things were coming from from that quarter. Right, right. And he he still lives on the island? No, he's he's the dean of a university nowadays at at, uh, Farnham. Right. So, so I just... uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by this idea of... One raising money for a swimming pool, but but then this sort of thing getting its own momentum, spiralling further and further. Yeah. First year, there's a good well, how many twist to the swimming pool, by the way, and that is that I I was at the um, Isle of Wight Festival in June this year as a guest of the organisers, and I was backstage there, just thinking as well, you know, I used to come here as a kid. This is Sea Close in yeah. Newport, and Sea Close is the only swimming pool on the Isle of Wight those days it was open air the only public swimming pool and um, 
and I'm looking at this the remnants of this Art Deco swimming pool building that's now long since gone but there's a little bit of it left the toilet block is still left yeah. and I'm sort of thinking about what well, this fest the this one that was backstage that toilet block yeah. there is part of it right? yeah and okay. so you know the site yeah. right okay and I'm thinking well the, the Isle of Wight festival started off over this building to build a swimming pool and here it is it's ended up here on a swimming pool the, yeah, the, yeah. the swimming pool site that we used to go to as kids right. when um, <laughs> when the sea was too rough to swim we'd, yeah. we'd go to sea close and right. I knew it well as a child <laughs> so, so how many people attended in 68 then? About 15,000. Right. Um, so, and that was above your expectations or about it was, right? Or? It was probably about right. I mean, right. We, we, we kind of made a little bit of profit, I think, yeah. and uh, it was okay. But it and was the expensive it, bits were, as they are these days, the bands were bands, then. Bands, yeah, yeah. Most of the bands. Right. Um, Advertising is quite expensive. Yeah. And, um, and the then second year, after that success, those names, and uh, yeah, it, was it a successful people felt that it was a successful festival in 68 yeah I think so yeah, yeah. it was pretty good um, I don't think it was great in terms of the most brilliant experience anybody ever had but it, it, would, it got a good press and there was nothing wrong with it it was a bit cold I think that night it was only a one day I think uh, right. it, was a fri- it was a Friday night right. and um, yeah it was okay yeah and then so 69 you had 68 behind you yeah, and I guess getting bands becomes even easier then. Well, we'd learned that w- we were not going to get a big audience unless we got somebody big. Yeah. And Bob Dylan was the biggest name around mm. as a possible. There wasn't anybody else in that league, really, apart from the Beatles or Elvis, yeah. which were ridiculous ideas. But there's, there's nobody in that top that top league. And we were lucky we got Dylan, and it did sort of put it on the map in a big way. It was yeah. a massive, massive audience. And it, it was more than a massive audience. It was a... Um, it was a trek across the world for a lot of people it, it was like the second coming to a lot of people Dylan was yeah. this sort of legendary almost mythical figure that everybody thought we'd never see again and he, he was the, the leader of the of that generation really of, right. of music followers he, um, he's the one that's invented protest songs and yeah. songs about issues that matter to people and he's then the one that's fused all that with electric guitars and things gone electric with it and upset everybody but yes. but all his west coast music quickly follows suit and then, and then you know he's he's formed this new genre called rock and he's the, he's the kind of the leader of all this and then suddenly he won't come out and appear and right. um, so the idea that you could come and see him was astonishing to, to people and that's why you got three of the Beatles there and I think three of the Rolling Stones and mm-hmm. people like Jane Fonda and all sorts of people were, were sitting at his feet. I mean, it was, it was quite um, not the sort of thing that you would be able to relate to today. Right. But, but at the time, it was like that. And because, because stardom and fame at that point actually meant something. It, it wasn't your normal stardom in the way that I mean film stars were your big stars in those days and I guess someone like Elvis Presley was a big star but Dylan was more of a leader than a, than a star right. he, he was your thought leader he, he was yeah a thought leader he was like a prophet of some sort yeah right um, it was a role that he didn't want and, mm. um, and he's always fought against it but it, it still sticks with him to some extent today mm. but it I guess the, his body of work does does um vindicate him a bit I mean yeah. he's, he's kind of head and shoulders above anybody else when it comes to songwriting and um, 
and certainly in those days he, he invented it all. So then, so 69 comes around, what, what were the numbers for 69 then? 150,000, something like that. So a tenfold, I'm just yeah. thinking about, I mean, even the practical things of, clearly there was no internet, people couldn't order tickets online. What, what did you do? You had you had one ticket well, office, or there was. That, not only did we um, have the good fortune to to have this coup in getting getting our star in place, but then we had the organisation to um, to market it, and we had two things going for us. One was being really ambitious with our publicity department and, and really going for the publicity in a big way, and then secondly, with the ticket sales, we set up ticket offices in every town in the country really in in record shops right. and if you look at the ads in the um, in the press at the time if yeah. you look at the back numbers you'll see that more than half the ad is a list of ticket agencies right and so people were able to get tickets whether it be in Swindon or Bolton or you know whatever you town about organizing that you well, just you just get on the phone, phone and yeah, right. it's not difficult you've got to, I remember we had the yellow pages for every right. for every um, town in the country um, which was like a huge quantity of yellow pages, you can see them now. And so you just go through them and you, right. you phone up in the record shops and you, you arrange... Some of them would be a chain, so you could probably yeah. cover about eight towns in one yeah. in one contract, and then others would be just one-offs. Right. Uh, I remember in London we had Harlequin Records, who I think had about ten branches. Mm. And so it was really record shops that um, were our ticket agents. And I guess for them it was good because people would come in to buy the tickets yeah, and then buy probably record, buy records. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The record shops, record shops did sell tickets for events, but it wasn't that common in practice. Occasionally they'd be doing it yeah. for somebody. And um, again, that's all different today, isn't it? So that, I think we we were very um, organised and um, entrepreneurial in the way that we yeah. marketed it. Right. And so the two things sort of came together quite well. And what, you didn't do any sort of publicity stunts, you just let the papers know this is going on? Yeah, we, we, we had to feed a lot of stories out to the press all the time. Yeah. Um, had to find new stories, new angles. Right. And that's, um, it wasn't me personally that dealt with the, the media, so yeah. I'm not quite sure what they did. Um, so 150,000 people then turn up, and well, I guess some people buy ferry tickets, some people jump on the ferry somehow, and... Yeah, they're all sort of making their way from all over the place, and they got there, and um, and it was a good event. Everybody had a good time, and um, Dylan was was okay. He wasn't he wasn't the most brilliant of his performances, yeah. but um, I think most people appreciated it and thought it was okay. So then, then you think what well, the seventies one come along, nineteen seventy goes up another ten notches almost because we. We've now got a lot of opponents because the, the thing was so big that all the opponents on the island, yeah, right. uh, all the opponents came out of the woodwork. And, so um, that only happened after the '69, yeah. did it? Yeah. Well, because it was sort of, in we their eyes the great unwashed unwares. turned up on the we island. All the unawares, yeah. Yeah. The God's Hill would have been okay and didn't really cause a lot of protest. A little, little bit, not much. The '69 one, I think, once we announced Dylan, we were about it a month or so before the event and it was all too late to um, f- for anybody to sort of right. realise had the licence at that point and didn't have, you didn't need a licence really, right. there's no such thing okay. um, and so I don't think we had to talk to the local authorities yeah. about anything we just did it 
but the following year was different. We had the local authorities on our case in a big way. So, I mean, after the, the, the 1969, I don't know, what was the population of the island then? Probably 100 or so? 100,000, yeah. Right. So, one and a half times the population of the island turns up. Obviously, they're going to notice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was mayhem in, in Ryde and Wooden. Um, but, you know, people well behaved. They weren't doing damage, but yeah. they... I guess there were cases of people peeing in people's gardens and all that sort of yeah. thing, inevitably. So that number of people, you're bound to get a certain amount of that sort of thing. And a lot of littering. Yeah, right. Um, so, but by and large, it was pretty good. There weren't really many um, legitimate complaints. Yeah. Complaints. There's certainly no issues of violence or um, hooliganism or anything like that right. that people could complain about. Most of the comments were that they people behave well and that they're peaceful and well behaved so who after the 69 where did the objection come from was there sort of for want of a better word the ruling ruling elite of the island when we don't like this the two levels of it one was with the with the authorities now the member of parliament who's mark woodnut um made it his business to oppose any further festivals and the local authorities made it their business to get involved and say look we want to have a hand in this and make sure you've got proper health and safety and um, organisation uh, make sure it's not going to end up as a disaster and uh, initially we were talking to Newport because we had a site near Newport that we were going to use and so Newport Council got involved and th- they could only get involved by threatening us that if we, if we didn't cooperate with them they'd go to the courts and seek an injunction to stop us from doing it on the grounds that it was going to be a public nuisance and a public hazard we said, and our lawyers told us that we would lose and so we, we we had no choice really now that was one level of sort of objection but that wasn't too bad because I was personally attending meetings every week in Newport and it was Monday morning in the Mayor's Parlour with Mark Woodnett before he went off to Parliament and various people from the councils and we set up a steering committee and that was all very amicable and we talked about facilities and what what we're going to provide and they they come back to us on what they thought we should have and we'd negotiate and that was all that went on for for weeks if not months um the other level of complaint was from the local residents who were drumming up support to take out injunction proceedings and And personally take out injunctions no the collection of people together as a residents and ratepayers association putting some money together yeah. and it was quite a lot of money and it was thousands of pounds in yeah. those days and we'd have to defend that in the high court and we had lawyers and barristers defending it and we got to a point where we were being informed that we were going to lose and so we'd withdraw from that site and go find another site and this happened about three times Yeah. so which, uh, which were the sites that you well, looked there was, at? There was Haven Street and near Newport not far from the present site in fact um, there's a couple of sites near Ride. I can't remember them all exactly, but they were, we had farmers that agreed, and then the farmers were threatened, and then they pulled out. Um, from pressure from the local community. Well, pressure, local community, but threats from you know phone calls threatening with violence, saying if you could, yeah, they had that's nasty threats. Um, and we were getting desperate. It was it was a desperate move to move to this site here in the West White. And it was, in a way, it was our masterstroke because we 
moved it to home ground and we were based in Tottenham. Right. And as soon as we announced the site, the the board goes up outside the memorial hall for a public meeting for to form a ratepayers association to oppose the festival or to discuss the festival as they called it. And because the meeting was attended by a lot of our supporters because they were on our own home ground and we, we outnumbered the opponents. Right. You must have absolutely hated that, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we had two we had two very, very uh, momentous meetings that um, we, they went on for hours and, and we answered questions and dealt with all the all the kind kind of um, points that were raised. And, it, and we won, and we won through on that. And we, we ended up with a site, which is a very nice site, apart from this hillside, which yeah. represented a financial loss to us. But um, it was very good. We, we had thought that you couldn't move to the West White. That, that you couldn't what, sorry? We couldn't, we couldn't move to the West White, because the, the journey was too far from ride. Yeah. And we're wrong, because in the event people could get across the island and the West White is more suitable because it's not very heavily populated. Yeah. It's all rural, we're not really disturbing anybody. Even without many people, we weren't disturbing anybody. So that was... Um, yeah. So the, the bit about the ratepayers forming these associations, was that something that was spontaneous on their part or do you think, think that being think someone had given them the idea that they might do that? They did it once and it worked. And then the next site we went to, the same people popped up to show them how to do it. Really? Yeah. Right. And and that's what they're doing in Freshwater. The same people arrived in Freshwater. Um, the same group of people. And they're all retired military. There was Brigadier Phipps and there was um, Admiral Sir Manly Power and all these people. That, what do you think was their underlying objection to it then? It was, you know, all these people with long hair coming over here. There were several things. One was just sheer nuisance, which they didn't want. Um, two was political. And they, they say in the Alan White film, and they, they're interviewed at the time in 1970, saying that as far as they can see, it's it's about black power, and behind black power is communism. You know, black power, not as in the Black Panthers talk black power, so but that's presumably the two black power. What do you mean by black power? It's a phrase they use, black power, and that's an American thing, isn't it? Black power. Um, it's kind of racist, well, it's racist they, speak, isn't it? It's yeah. So the black people are going to take over or something and but behind that is communism right. which is it's interesting isn't it because these are military people who served in the second world war had been through the cold war yeah. cold war was still going full full strength isn't it in 1970 and they're 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 terrified of communism right that's the big threat yeah. in their mind yeah i mean to people like me i i was 23 by now and i i didn't think that communism was a threat in this country how could it be which is a ridiculous idea. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. So, so they saw it as an underlying thing of... They saw the drugs... It, 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 the drug was also, drugs were also, they saw as being not so much a threat, but they thought that our young people here on the island would get introduced to drugs and then yeah. they get addicted and then they, their lives would be ruined. I mean, suppose right. it's a, a kind of a, a fairly narrow view of drugs to think yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were drugs around, but I, I guess there were drugs around anyway. Yeah. At that point on the island, what, what was the... What was the... I, I don't know how to phrase this in the right way, but the sort of the social split, was it... There, there were people like the brigadier and the major blah-de-blah as a, as a controlling well, strata, or how, how was that working? 
but it's a very interesting question because um, not many people realise that the Isle of Wight is is not a is not really a conservative place, and I'd I'd spent my teenage years in politics. I'd been in the CND. I was an organiser for the CND. I got involved in Newport Labour Party. We very quickly succeeded in getting a whole load of councillors elected for the Labour Party to Newport Council and took control of Newport Council. And the only reason why I didn't sort of start a career in politics was I was too young. I was I was under 21. I couldn't stand. And all my friends who were over 21 were all becoming councillors. And so I kind of knew that once you organise that the population out there, they're working people. This island, Isle of Wight is not a, an island of of rich people, it's, it's working class people. Most people work in industry, agriculture, and tourism, you know, sort of working as waiters and, and, and um, seasonal work as seasonal well. Because yeah. they're, they're not the sort of people that are, uh, are like these brigadiers at all. But the brigadiers are in the vocal minority, aren't they? They're the ones that got the county press on their side, they're the ones that will always get um, their voices heard. And the ordinary working people don't even try to get their voice heard, they just go by their go right. about their life, don't they? They right. don't get involved in that sort of thing. Now, when it came to the festivals, the same thing applied, that the bulk of Isle of Wight people were not against it. And in fact, I can tell you that in 1995, 94-95, when I was trying to revive this festival, um, that we did have a massive um, um, mailbag from people that were complaining about it, and there was a petition got up and that sort of thing. We organised our own petition, and we outnumber their petition easily. And we commissioned an opinion survey that was done, and it was something like 70% were in favour of it. So if you count heads, I mean, people are in favour of it. If you if you go by how much money people have got, then yeah. they're not. Right, right. That is, I mean, so do you think between 1970 and 1995, the way that the island is structured socially has changed? Still, this controlling elite. It may not be as bad now that it was, but it's, I, I think it was similar. And the experience in '95 was that there was there's a very, um, you know, significant vocal minority that can get their voice heard. They're articulate. They can write letters. They can, you know, get on the airwaves and so on. And um, they can make it sound as though everybody's against something. Yeah. yeah. And I guess everywhere's a bit like that. Yeah. And I guess once people hear that everyone it quotes everyone is against something then it becomes the the accepted view or a more accepted view yeah definitely yeah. i think it was interesting actually when when the festival was over in 1970 it wasn't long before the conservative mp was chucked out and the liberal um mp steve ross was elected and that was partly because of the festival right um because the islanders felt that they've been let down by the MP and allowing it to happen, or that by causing a partly fuss of it afterwards it was, it was a problem. Partly that, and partly the fact that the Labour Liberal vote got together, yeah. and the, the Labour vote backed the Liberal. Um, the, the Labour Party didn't really put up a proper candidate and fight it properly, and, um, and in fact, the the Liberal eight, uh, Liberal MP was Steve Ross, who was one of our biggest supporters. And his agent was Ron Smith, who was our site director that built the site here. Right. You know, um, and, and Ron Smith and I were Labour Party 
men was back when I was about 17 and we used to go collecting subs on a Sunday morning yeah, together. Right. So he was Labour through and through, but he moved to the Liberals. And and so once the Liberals got the, the Labour vote as well, they could oust the, right. the Conservative. And um, I don't know what happens today. I think there's a Conservative back here now. Yeah, but yeah. For maybe things have changed. But it's, it's interesting because the perception is on the sort of the national politics side of the island is... Almost people can't. I think they're at the point now they can't believe that it hasn't always been conservative. So it's only you only have to look back a couple of years when you realise yeah, how. I don't, I don't know how strong. Is it a big conservative majority? I don't know what the figures yeah, are. It's pretty strong. It's pretty yeah. Strong. Yeah. Anyway. So so going back to the 1970 festival, you've had 15,000, 150,000. What is your perception for the 1971? Well, we're hoping to get the same again. The 150 again. Yeah. Um, or, or at least a hundred thousand. We we weren't um, we weren't convinced that we could top the bill. You know, we didn't have another right. Bob Dylan. There, right. was, there wasn't anybody else that could go for. Yeah. And so we had to load on, you know, a lot of what we'd call the next the next tier down. Yeah. I mean, Hendrix wasn't that big at the time. Um, our biggest star was Joan Baez, right. and rather than Hendrix, mm. although. History might tell you otherwise now mm. if you read, read what people say nowadays. Mm. Um, yeah. And just by putting on all those names, that we, we got enough of a, a platform to sell the tickets. And then, so the sales of tickets were what? what at one fifty again? Sorry. It, the sales for the nineteen seventies was was about one fifty again, was it? One fifty. One hundred fifty thousand. One hundred fifty thousand. No, I don't think we did. We didn't sell that many. I don't think we sold one hundred fifty thousand tickets for Wooten either. I think a lot of people didn't didn't buy tickets. Right. There were quite a lot that turned up without tickets. Yeah. Um, I don't. Know. Not intending to pay, but sort of just come along and see what they could make out of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think people just coming up, coming on their off chance and hoping they could get in. And there were a lot of nearby fields and things that people were um, hanging around and, and, and didn't ever come into the arena. Yeah. So th- then, then there's the sort of days leading up to the 1970s festival. When did you start to realise that it was going to be 600,000 or what, what, what's the I figure think, that I you... I didn't think it ever was 600,000. I think yeah. the, these figures are just ludicrously exaggerated. Um, it's probably more like half that. Right, okay. But um, where does that exaggeration come from? Does it come from the people who objected to the fact of how many people turned up or just history likes to exaggerate? I think it came from some of the artists on the stage. I know right, that right. Leonard Cohen wove in 600,000 into one of his songs. <laughs> that, that, right. That, um, right. is in the Leonard Cohen film. Right. So, um, so well, when did you have the realisation that it was going to be a lot more people than, than you had planned for? Well, I think when the event sort of took place, when it when it got to the literally on that yeah li- when it right. got to the Friday of the event, it was pretty obviously going to be massive. Yeah, because people had turned up already, or because just you kept tur- on quite hearing. Quite a lot had turned up, and then they really started turning up in huge numbers um, throughout the weekend, and just never never ending sort of flow of people. Yeah, I was having a a chat with someone earlier who was saying that he. He's saying, I hope my mum doesn't listen to this because she still doesn't know this story to the day. But he left home at 15 to come t- to the gig here and brought, I think he said five, well, it probably wasn't litres in those days, maybe five pints of cider and uh, a couple of black bin bags to have a sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still worried about his mum finding out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're here on site. There's 
endless people turning up, I guess taking taking up the hills that we've got yeah. beside us here. Those hills weren't didn't have all those trees on them then. Yeah. Nothing like that many trees, but um, so what goes through your mind? What are you what are you Oh great or oh my goodness. Oh I dunno. It's um it's so long ago I don't I don't know. I'm I'm working at the moment on my own research of all of all of this, trying yeah. okay. trying to put together a kind of an anthology of sorts. And so I'm I'm interested in interviewing people myself here today right. and um, finding out what people thought yeah. that, that we're here as, as customers at the time or as <laughs> audience members. Yeah. Um, but it I don't know. You didn't I, no memory of panic or of joy or. Well, I don't know what, how much you know about the festival, but it, it it did get into a certain amount of, of trouble with with um, elements that, that thought it ought to be a free festival and were, yeah. were attacking the enclosure and so on beforehand, and. That's been exaggerated considerably over the years, not least of all because of the film that came out in in '95, yeah. "Message to Love," which takes that as its main sort of theme, the, the right. theme of sort of trouble. Mm. Which is, if you talk to anybody here this afternoon who who was at the festival, that's not their recollection that's, at all. That's exactly what this guy said. I had absolutely yeah. no idea there was yeah, any trouble going on. But it, I mean, there was a certain amount of trouble. We were aware of it. We we were we were dealing with it quite well in terms of keeping the arena intact and if damage was done we could get it repaired it wasn't ruining the event for the public mm-hmm. and we were aware of that and all of the artists that were booked to appear went on there were a couple of incidents on the stage which are highlighted in the film which are fair enough they did happen but it, it's an exaggeration to suggest right. that it was an ongoing problem because out of 70 hours on stage or whatever stage time there the, the two incidents and I can't even see in the film a single thing being ever being thrown at the stage in the way of a can or anything, right. or anybody being properly booed or anything. There was a little bit of disgruntlement at times, and the two incidents of one where where a guy comes on stage and interrupts Joni Mitchell, and she handled it quite well, and then he was he was dragged off stage, and, that, and that's like the only real incident that. Yeah. that that there was so by and large the event was quite successful and um, we were managing problems quite well mm. but it's, it's since been exaggerated as being as though it was just a whole load of trouble yeah that's what annoys me and um, I don't know how I ever deal with that whether I can because the, mm. once the film's out there the, you, right. you've um, that, that reality in quotes is well, it's, exposed it's, it's worse than that because I, no, I now see that people write about the event and they take the film as their source material and then exaggerate it even further yeah. and you know I, I see the, the Joni Mitchell incident I was just talking about gets exaggerated into a barrage of, of coke cans being thrown at a you know which, which is yeah. Um, yeah. is worrying that, that, you, that this can just be perpetuated and and damage the reputation of what was yeah. otherwise quite a good reputation. Hence your desire to rewrite the record yeah, if you can. I, I think I'll write my Or at least put it down. Yeah, I'll put down my own yeah. story and um, hence my willingness to give interviews and things and, and, and put our case. <laughs> so then it felt like a successful festival to you that the, there well, had, it, had been some trouble. It, but the, the, It was a financial disaster for us. Why, um, was, it, why was it bad, well, bad financially? The budget, the budget was so so 
um, out of hand. Because without the, budget the, the artist budget. The artist budget was much higher than it should have been. It, it, it went over, over the top. The site budget got very expensive with all the facilities we'd agreed to provide. Um, we, did, we made a deal with the council on facilities and water supply and safety issues yeah. and it was all very expensive and we did all that and then the, the paying public were not as big as we thought they were going to be because yeah. they, they're all kind of outside the arena on the hillside here in vast numbers and um, we just didn't get the, we didn't get the income that we, we needed and it was really that that put, paid to doing another one yeah. when that happened most of the trouble that we had was going on before the festival started when the a lot of the early arrivals were trying to um, to break down the walls of the building and there's one scene where I actually stand on top of the wall and obviously I've been lit up at night and been lit up by the film um, lighting cameraman and I'm appealing to the audience to the, the audience the, the crowd not to damage the wall that we've got to have an arena we've got to charge to go in otherwise we can't pay the artists you know there's an economic sort of problem here if we if we if we don't complete our arena and most of them sort of seem to accept that but anyway this this scene is cut into the film immediately after the doors appear on the Saturday night, as though that's going on on the Saturday night. Right. Right. Is what I mean. So you yeah. can, with film, you can just splice things in yeah. to, to tell whatever story you want. Yeah. Right. And that wasn't the story. We didn't right. have any. We, I've got a chap here, Chris Weston. Do you know Chris? Yeah, you know Chris. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Chris. He was roaming around the site with his camera, and that um, at the on Sunday morning. The complete arena was 100% intact. There wasn't any any of it missing at all. Mm. And he's got photographs in his book of, right. of the arena being quite badly damaged in places. But that was all, and he says in the book beforehand. But the film shows it all happening during the festival. Um, but the, in fairness, the film does show as declare the festival free, yeah. and it shows myself and my brother being pretty upset about things. Yeah and saying that we've lost faith in everything or whatever. We, we were really ex exhausted. I and, can imagine, and, after and that we much. We did feel a bit sort of um, beaten by the whole situation, mainly because yeah. the, the finances would, 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 would turn out so badly. Yeah. Um, but it, but for the audience and and the groups and most people, they've they got nothing but good things to say about it. Mm. The local people, they by and large have mostly good things to say about it. Yeah. I mean, clearly the, there's a lot to this, and, and perhaps this is something we can continue at a, at a later date, because I, I, I honestly feel like we could stand here and, and talk about this for hours, we but could do. the rest of the world is going around at the same time, isn't it? Okay. okay. Brilliant. Thanks a lot for your Thank time. You.